Welcome to the Cave of Solitude, your pop culture and comic book podcast coming to you from the megacity metropolis of Toronto. I'm your host, Eric Anthony, and this is episode 249, kickstarting Jason and the Olympians with Shane Berryhill. So Shane Berryhill, welcome to the Cave of Solitude. Thank you so much for uh, reaching out to us, and uh, welcome to the show for the first time. How are you? I'm good, Eric. Uh, thank you so much for having me on and giving uh, me this platform, and just basically all you do for comics, brother, just oh. spreading the gospel. Thank you to you and your listeners. Thank you, thank you. Um, tell us about your Kickstarter. I want to. I want to do a. Uh, this is your life sort of thing since it's your first time on the show but i want to begin and end talking about the kickstarter that you're currently working on so that people know and remember what they came here for and what they got to go do afterwards <laughs> thanks my friend <laughs> uh well um uh, we are running a comics kickstarter at present uh for the project jason and the olympians um and you can find out more about it at j-a-c-i-n dot info uh the basically the premise is imagine a world where the gods of ancient greek mythology uh not only truly existed but continued to exist throughout history and then into a hundred years into our future well the titans have returned uh revealing the dark alien menace behind their legend and they wiped the gods out devastated earth so the last of humanity escaped in a spacefaring ark the starship olympia so it's up to teenage prodigy Jason Mukai and her demigoddess friends to uh, take their r- giant robot colossi and form the uh, even more giant automaton protector, Talos. Uh, humanity's last hope, Eric, is Jason and the Olympians. <laughs> that is a, a, a perfect pitch, if you will. That's, that's a strike right down the middle. I'm in. I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> That sounds exciting. That sounds like something that I would own multiple uh, copies of. Uh, how did you come up with the concept for Jason and the Olympians? Uh, well, man, uh, you know, I grew up, you know, speaking of This Is Your Life, just loving, you know, the giant mech cartoons, uh, Godzilla, all that good stuff. And also, you know, a big fan of mythology, well-versed in Greek mythology. Yeah, did you hear that? Yes, okay? I did. Something in my mic was starting to ring, so I had to shut the monitoring off. All right, Go no worries, bud. Uh, but anyway, so, uh, you know, I had the seed of an idea of those two unlikely bedfellows, of taking that old idea of Greek gods and uh, dusting it off and making it fresh by putting it in a space-age setting. But more than anything, my uh, co-creator, who I went with to the story, Alex Ogle, who, uh, uh, fast fact about that guy, uh, he will have an alternate cover for the Amazing Spider-Man number five uh, mm. this October. So very nice. Yeah, super proud of that guy, uh, and he serves as graphic designer, uh, letterer, and much more on the book. Uh, but anyway, he's got a daughter who is still in middle school, and I thought, well, what is a comic, a book that both Alex and his daughter could read and dive into and enjoy equally? Right. Um, so it's uh 
No, it's it, when I was reading it, and thank you very much for the advanced copy to take a look at, at the project, but I was reading it and it definitely felt like something that was all ages, something that could appeal to a, a parent reading it with the kids, a, a, an adult like myself reading it on their own. It's a, how do you establish what will make it work for the kids as well as the adults and then the combo? Like what is that perfect gumbo that you got to put together? Well, I think it, first and foremost, you have to have characters that you care about, and uh, you have to have a, a good story. Um, nobody's going to care about all that fantastical, crazy stuff that goes on if you don't hang, uh, you know, like a Jack and Stan did in the back in the day. Mm -hmm. uh, Jack would come up with these big concepts, and Stan uh, reportedly would bring it mm -hmm. home and, and, and just ground it in uh, for what in the day and time was, you know, a, a human emotion. Um, and you know, it's kind of, you know, part of that subconsciously, the more I think about it, I've got a young son and, uh, when we were working on this, he was younger still, and it was always a struggle for, you know, myself and him to what, find anything we could watch together. Um, so, you know, if I had to watch some, I don't know, blues clues or whatever, you know, one more time, uh, Eric, you know, uh, at the same time. The stuff I was into was obviously too advanced, too rough for him. Right. And then he and my wife and I discovered basically Netflix's uh, reboot of Lost in Space. Oh, and that yes. show, yeah, that show has something for everybody, uh, and and uh, it's it's a perfect model. So just to give context, you know, there's at any level you care about the characters. Uh, the story is uh, accessible to all without comp being compromised in any way. And, um, you know, so we're, we're aiming to be in the ballpark of that. Uh, Jason and the Olympians is midly a ballpark roller coaster popcorn ride of a book. Um, you know, and people need escape. Uh, you know, I'm all, I, I love deep, gritty stuff. Um, I also love just, you know, escapism. And my gosh, do we need escapism more than ever right now? Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you on that. And I think that's... Uh Comics is one of those those great escapes because you can escape into so many different aspects of imagination, storytelling, universes, you name it, you can do it with this uh, medium. And it's it's pretty cool that you've taken something like Greek mythology. I always like the idea, and I and I think it, it's a tried and tested true thing, like you said, with Jack and Stan, or even with in DC, you've got something like Wonder Woman, which takes these ancient sort of ideas or Thor these mythologies but you've now thrown in the science fiction aspect of it which i think we're all suckers for it's hard not to love both of those things combined right yeah absolutely 100 percent. and i mean and i you know i grew up reading marvel and dc i love those comics and jason and the olympians uh jason's mom as you know she's a starfighter pilot uh Captain Diana Mukai, and I consciously chose Diana. I'm tip of the hat to what's come before. Right. And, uh, and and so, you know, I love, uh, you know, I mean, yes, this is a fun book in that tradition, and we're just, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants that uh, had a big impact on me when I was a kid. So what were some of the things leading up to this book particularly? And I guess now we can go back in time. We're going to go to, to Shane Berryhill's childhood. What were some of the things that made you fall in love with uh, the medium of sci-fi, with comics? 
what what were those things that brought you to the to the door and you know now you're you're on the other side creating them yeah man um well, I mean, uh, I can remember uh, like the first exposure I can, and I honestly remember that, uh, about age four, my dad, I had, uh, the house we lived in had a, you know, I'm dating myself, but we had a chalkboard and he had colored chalk and he, on that board, drew a picture of Superman and I was just captivated at age four and uh, fast and uh We'll talk more about my love of comics then, but at the same exact time, I, uh, as your listeners can probably tell by my nasal twang, <laughs> I come from the hills of Tennessee, sir, and uh, which is which is pretty close to Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, okay. at the, and at the time, what was the fledgling cable station WTBS? Mm. So every afternoon. Uh, at age four, broadcasting out of there was the uh, old black and white Gigantor cartoon. Um, you had um, and uh, the Space Giants, uh, Goldar, Silvauer, which are all these giant robot, uh, crazy Japanese live action shows. And then, you know, Ultraman gets all the press, but my love to no end at that time was uh, coming on TBS part as part of that block was Spectra Man, another live action show. Have you ever heard of that, Eric? I see. No, but it all everything you're mentioning sounds super interesting. What uh, what years were this when these things were on TBS? Uh, it would have been um, uh, the probably now. I was four, so it was probably like around 1980, somewhere around in there. Okay. Uh, you, your listeners can't see it, but I've got quite a bit of gray in my goatee. So. <laughs> you look very good for your age. I thought maybe we would um, be in the same age bracket. I wasn't sure. So I wanted yeah. to – we didn't get in, – in Toronto, we got TBS depending on the cable package you got or even if it was included. So I remember getting TBS in the mid-90s and it was very cool because the movies that they would show there, like Superman 3 for instance, they would show the full – version of it even the deleted scenes it was the one place where you would see deleted scenes for some reason so yeah now you're talking about tbs when you grew up and it sounds pretty magical continue oh it was uh and uh you know props to toronto man do you know uh true story when i was in college uh me and some of my buddies we we put a map of uh basically north america out and we were going to take a road trip and threw a dart and it hit canada so man we came up to your fair city based on that. And it was an incredible time. Uh, everybody was super nice. Uh, and of course, uh, we, I couldn't go anywhere. They immediately pegged me because of my accent. Waitresses. Oh, yeah. said, oh are you from Tennessee or Georgia? I'm like, Tennessee. How can you tell? Uh, you know, I wasn't very traveled then. Now I realize how painfully obvious it is. And, uh, and, and in props to my, uh, my, uh, home state, uh, Again, I'm I'm from a rural area, so even my accent's not indicative of the populace at large. So. Right. Um, I have to ask you, being from the the, the area you're from, kind of close to Georgia, having TBS, did you happen to be a wrestling fan too growing up? You know it, buddy. I'll okay. tell you another fun story. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, at the, you know, I lived as a kid through the the golden age of wrestling. In the yes, 80s. you did. Yes, you did. Uh, Hogan, Andre. Uh, I can remember being over at, at a pool, a uh, swimming pool party with my buddy, and then pretending to be Jimmy the Superfly Snooker, jumping off into the water. And then, you know, fast forward yet again in college uh, in the nineties. 
Uh, you've got uh, DMX through the WWE and Monday, uh, WCW is having their wars going on. Uh, not DMX. I'm sorry. Dang. DX. Whoa, is that right? That's right. DX. They're, well, at the very the same time, DMX was the most popular hip-hop artist along with yeah, D-Generation yeah. X. So it's a very easy slip. Yeah, I knew that was a slip of the tongue. Yeah. Um, but uh, so – and uh, I had gone away to college. I mean I still was in Tennessee. But far so I, my first job is where I'm at now professionally out in Chattanooga. And I was at the time – Fresh out of college, running around with some guys down here who were huge super wrestling fans, and uh, and uh, uh, you, your listeners can't tell it, but you know, uh, I, I didn't have a ball. I wasn't bald with a goatee then, but you know, I'm a pretty, I'm a broad-shouldered uh, guy, uh, you know, big guy, and uh, so I made up this mock belt and uh, had a case of adult beverages, and I went over to for the first time to watch whatever pay per view on wrestling was going on with what I thought was my friend's apartment. And so I kicked in the door and started hollering and screaming, you know, wrong apartment, Eric, wrong apartment. <laughs> Were you sporting the, the, the same look that you got now? Cause I would have, I would have no, thought stone cold had broken into my apartment. <laughs> you know, I've heard that a little bit. Uh, my wife always reminds me to smile. So people don't think I'm a bouncer. <laughs> But uh, no, I, I did have a head full of hair then, but I had, you know, I dressed up for the occasion and cut off, uh, you know, a shirt and just, you know, I was really hamming it up, you know, it was right. a big joke. Me and my buddies like to laugh more, more than anything. Anybody I'm friends with, that's still what we love to do most. But yeah, the guys, it, and thank God, it was a, just another bunch of uh, guys whose apartment door I kicked in <laughs> and, uh, and they just... Uh, they just laughed. They were probably, I mean, they were sitting there having a beverage and probably about to watch the same pay-per-view we were. So <laughs> Sure. But anyway, true story, man. We laughed about that the rest of the night. So. Um, the, the, the second most talked about topic on this show is uh, professional wrestling. I don't currently watch it now, but whenever I get a lot of comic book f- artists and, and people in the business, you've got to split people who really, really love it and people who are like, yeah, I never got into that. But um, what you had at your advantage, we're going on a bit of a tangent here, but being where you were from is that you really got to see everything. Up here, Toronto was a WWE town. So we didn't get to see Ric Flair really yeah. until he came to WWF. And then it was just the wrestling magazines at the time that you could flip through and see that there were other wrestling leagues, I guess you can say. Yeah, but um, you got you got the all the good stuff with the TBS getting WCW and then at the same time WWF in its golden age. Woo. Yeah, well, dude, even before that, uh, you know, rewind back to when I'm uh, four or five uh, years old at the age, you know, when I'm seeing that first Superman drawing, watching Spectre Man. I can remember being at my grandma's, and it's probably TBS um, on Sunday afternoons. You know, they would just play blocks of wrestling. And you're talking about from the local leagues. This yeah, was yeah. on TV. And uh, so this is pre-Vince McMahon even. Right. You know, his dad's still in charge. Um, but, you know, I, uh, they would play. It was always funny during commercial breaks. Because, you know, what those were really was uh, commercials for to get you to come to live events. So yeah. when a commercial break happened or coming off, it would start playing the, the uh, tune to... Uh, Billy Idol's White Wedding, you'd hear, 
And then, and then the, and then uh, you have an announcer saying, "Coming to the Omni in Atlanta, Ric Flair versus you know," and, and the yeah. events would just scroll down the TV. So you know, I mean, it was the South, man. Wrestling, uh, pro wrestling, is part and parcel down here. So, did you have a preference between styles uh, or even federations? No, um, I. I uh, I found a lure in both. I mean, uh, you know, speaking about uh, the uh, I don't I don't know what you call it uh, the nineties when I was watching wrestling. Um, you know, you had uh, Monday Nitro, Monday Night Raw, and then uh, you also had like Thursday Thunder. I, I mm-hmm. think, mm-hmm. and and I was working nights at at the time and I'll be honest with you there were some nights because it was a big event I lived in a you know a house of guys who were home every night but I was going to college during the day and working at night so man I can't lie to you there were many a times I I was quote unquote <laughs> sick so I could stay home for thunder watch me some thunder or you know Monday Night Raw so there was a time. there was a guy in, in my grade 8 class who was a big huge wrestling fan both of us were and we had our grade eight graduation dance on a Thursday. And I said, are you coming, Andy? He goes, no, it's Thunder. And I don't know <laughs> if Thunder would have been worth, I mean, the grade eight dance is very tame, but it's a once in a lifetime thing. I'm sure that Thunder wasn't one that it will be memorable, but it's just so funny how we prioritized during those glory days of wrestling. There was a lot of stuff that I would have sacrificed for, for a wrestling event, for sure. Do you have, um, you have a favorite all time? Uh, hmm, that's a tough question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, uh, I got into, I was, you know, I was big into it as a kid, but Hulk Hogan, but you know, when I, there's a difference of looking at something when, with a kid's eyes yeah, and then it's almost, you just by default, you're a wrestling fan. Right. So in the nineties, you know, it's a conscious choice to be a wrestling fan. So right. it's just uh, for me, you know, as an adult, any any period, but for me, it was the 90s. And, you know, that's the heyday of Speak How I Look, of Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. Right. Now, um, I'll tell you, you know, and it's it's easy to to say, you know, The Rock is awesome. And uh, if you just weren't around back then, you don't remember. But what impresses me about The Rock more than anything, how good you can tell a wrestler is, uh, is not his moves, his finishing move and stuff, it's how good he sells his opponent's moves. Yeah. And The Rock, despite all his fame and, you know, popularity, man, when somebody body slammed him, he was rolling over and flailing his mm-hmm. arms and doing all that. You know, he was he was trying to sell it, dude. Um, so I always admired that. My personal favorite, and I actually got to meet him uh, at a convention, uh, was Mick Foley. Ha. Uh, Lovely so. guy. Lovely guy. Yeah, yeah, he was super nice, you know, and uh, I talked to him, I got on his panel and uh, walked with him all the way back down to the con floor and was just talking with him the whole time, and he would have kept talking to me if one of his handlers, you know, literally just didn't pull him away, you know, this this huge beast of a man, um, and uh, so I, I loved it because he could laugh at himself, uh, but, you know, he was tough and he was nuts, you know. Absolutely. Uh, you know what? He uh, he's kind of he kind of reminds me of there's that era of comic book creators who were the first group of guys that were really proud to be comic book writers and artists. 
you know, in the seventies going into the eighties, these, these guys were kids as fan, like were fans as kids. So I feel like Mick Foley is that type of wrestler who did it for the fans, not for, not for himself. He said, they're going to go home happy or stunned the way that I felt. I want them to feel because he was a fan. And I think he, he, as much as criticism that he would get from, you know, a Ric Flair saying that he was just like a crash test dummy. There was no art to it. The way he did it was a little different than just yeah. extreme wrestling. Yeah. Right. And I mean, yeah, it's different flavors. I mean, you know, it's, and you know, com- wrestling is so analogous to comics and superheroes. Totally. Would you want, would you want every single hero to be like Superman or every single hero to be like Iron Man? No, it's that variety that just makes it so interesting. That's right. It makes you follow. And, uh, and, uh, so who, you know, Rick probably just didn't, I mean, nothing against Rick Flair. He is awesome, baby. Woo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Big <laughs> to it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it, wrestling is great because there are Rick Flair's because there are, uh, Mick Foley's yeah. and, and beyond. So, yeah, no, absolutely. I got a chance to, uh, go to one of his panels too. When him and it was the time I got to met, meet the Brett the Hitman Hart and Mick Foley both were here in Toronto and and Bret Hart was a favorite of mine still is but um he was for a guy who's been bumped around and had had literally his head beaten in so many times he's a he's a very empathetic compassionate sharp sharp guy Mick Foley and it's a it's nice to hear him talk to and interact with fans he's got a lot of love in him um getting back to to your TBS years now we went on our wrestling tangent <laughs> Uh, so you were watching all of those shows and they were, you know, inspiring you, capturing your imagination. And what were some of the comics at that time for you that were part and parcel with those shows? If you weren't watching the show, you were reading this comic. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, um, man, what a great time. Uh, mm-hmm. It's probably a little bit later on in life, but uh, I'm still in elementary school. And uh, so it's early 80s. And my dad, he sold insurance at the time uh, downtown in the little rural town I grew up in. And just, just, you know, literally at the other end of the block on the street corner was a drugstore. And you could, comics there on a spinner rack, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it was a great time. My dad would give me, you know, $2. The comics cost 75 cents. Mm-hmm. I could go down there and buy a comic and a candy bar. And I, you know, I was in hog heaven, you know, dad still had work after when I got out of school, but he'd send me down to go. So man, I was reading everything on that spinner rack. Um, uh, and then also the same thing at a grocery store at my grandmother's about the same time. Uh, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, so I was buying left and right. And I actually just this past weekend went out, uh, and uh, bought uh, the uh, Batman Annual Number Eight because I can remember getting that book off the stands as a kid at my grandmother off well off the spinner rack at what was then Darnell's Supermarket and just looking at Trevor Von Eden's art and just knowing this was different, man. Even there, I was probably like seven years old, hmm. just being super impressed by it. Um, but speaking of my grandmother's around this time they had tons of long boxes of, uh, uh, silver age comics. Really? Uh, from, yeah. From, from, cause my mom, she read them. Really? Um, That's cool. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just tons. Now along with your, it was mostly like uh, silver age 
you know, like Superboy, which I loved and that kind of stuff. But she also had uh, just, you know, uh, Jack Kirby romance comics. I think Millie or Melanie might have been one of them. And then you're talking Dale. But then there was, of course, a lot of cowboy stuff, too. But then in addition to my elder cousin, who pre- who's about 10 years old from me on my mom's side of the family, who lived up there because they lived away from us. So it was like during holidays and summers when we would visit. He had grown up in the 70s. And so right there beside my my mom's long boxes of Silver Age comics were just Marvel Bronze Age out the watch Sue, And, uh, you know, Shang-Chi is about to come out. You're talking about having some awesome Shang-Chi comics, uh, you know, old school Thor. Um, just, I mean, it was amazing, dude. It was a treasure trove. That's and, incredible. Uh, it was just, I mean, it literally was like discovering a pot of gold. That's, a, that's such a great, that's such a cool legacy, though, when you, uh, I like looking back at those type of things, too, thinking of what were those, those people, those moments, because there's a couple of things that go into the mixture in all of our stories. It's a, a cousin, a brother, a friend, something like that. So it's cool that it was your mom's long box and your cousin who lived, you know, a town over that when you did get together, it was, it was a treasure trove, like you said, of, of all of this yeah. fantasy. That's that's great. That's so cool. Yeah. And uh, if you uh, just want me to continue, yep. I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm hooked by then. So um, late '80s, I discover uh, Claremont and Silvestri's X Men, and that is when I fall head over heels in love with comics. I'm like, there is just no going back, dude. Um, that's the Inferno storyline. Um, mm. Uh, all the other stuff right around there. They're in this, and ultimately they come out in the Savage Land. Uh, and then, of course, Batman was big too. So uh, you've got Norm Brayfogle on Batman, who just—I mean, I just drool over his artwork. Um, and so I'm picking that up from DC at the time. Um, and so that's when leads me to because you know, being rule though, despite having these tools at my disposal. Uh, we didn't have an actual comic shop around mm-hmm. until, um, you know, I was like a junior or senior in high school. Oh, wow. So, but we did get like uh, a comics journal yep. and, Wizard Mag- and Wizard Magazine in and, and our grocery store. So, man, I would uh, read these articles about comics I just could not get my hands on. And uh, most notably about them being the Dark Knight Returns hmm. and Year hmm. One, which is already collected in trade. Uh, so it's like it was probably a books a million in the mall when I saw that thing. I was like, oh, I know what that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and talk about life altering. That's when I knew and it was especially I came by Year One later. But the Dark Knight Returns, I mean, it was so crazy. Didn't look like any other comic I'd seen. Was awesome, and I could tell, man, this this was not for kids. This was next level stuff. This was like the uh, the gritty grindhouse uh, version of superheroes of of the movies that I'd watch with my dad. Um, that I was too young to really see, but he let me watch them anyway. And you know, it just changed my life, man. From yeah, man, there. No, the, the, that those books that that book even now when you read it, I remember as a kid referring to Dark Knight, Dark Knight Returns. Uh, had this this Batman book that came out during the '89 movie it was I guess an encyclopedia of what you could have at the time. My mom bought it for me, couldn't read, but it had 
uh, these parts where the covers were in color, famous comic book covers. So you had Bray Fogel had been around already. So I remember those. Those were the more recent looking uh, covers at the time. But the Dark Knight number one, Dark Knight uh, Returns with the lightning bolt. It left such an imprint in my mind. I can't imagine what it would have been like for, for you to have, to read it after all those years of it being built up for you. It is yeah. something else. And and Frank Miller, um, I just was was speaking to uh, Steve Mitchell, who was an inker from the from the seventies and eighties during that blue jean era. He calls it, but he would go once or twice a month with Frank Miller to the Grindhouse movies. He was a huge fan uh, of that stuff. Of course. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So it was interesting hearing, now that you mentioned it, brought that to my mind. But keep going. Continue. Sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> oh, we're not interrupting. It's like I said, brother, we're just having a conversation, That's it. man. That's it. Uh, I, I was anxious to hear what, what uh, you had to say about Steve Miller. and uh, I mean, Steve and Frank. But, uh, so interrupt me anytime, Eric, you want to. But, um, we're just talking. We're just friends here, man. That's right. Um, and uh, but anyway, so uh, then I went off to college, um, and uh, I was in Hog Heaven. My dorm room was literally a block away from a comic store, the first you know walk distance comic store uh, that I. And uh, so I'm basically just reading anything and everything then. Right. Uh, and. Uh, you know, uh, was that your sweet spot era that, that time being a block away from, from the shop? Was that sort of like what you look back on now as that game, not game changing, but era changing, uh, connection to the hobby because you can now interact with the store and not just the spinner rack. Uh, yeah, I mean, probably so. That's when the first time I really became a collector because the only other time I could really buy comics again, we didn't have a shop in my town until I was almost gone from my hometown. Um, so the only time I could truly had a job making money. And of course it was just part time in college, uh, and buy comics was, uh, at this time. Um, and I'm, uh, probably reading like, uh, Peter David's Hulk. Mm. And, uh, I, I was a big Peter David fan then as far as mainstream, cause I was reading, you know, harpoon Aquaman that of course, um, Man, I'm blanking here, but uh, big burly guy that my wife is in love with. Jason Momoa. Yeah, Momoa. Yeah. You know, big burly guy, guy your wife's in love with. Yeah, we know who it is. <laughs> so, uh, um, but uh, as far as superhero, but then I'm also, you know, discovering Vertigo at this time and Sandman. Uh, and then, you know, Image is popping on the scene, um, which, you know... Uh, I thought the art was really cool, but it was, a you know, and I, and I grew up to be a writer. So <laughs> unlike the rest of my generation, I realized from day one, I was like, these stories are not the best. Yeah. I mean, uh, but it wasn't about stories. It was about spectacle. And that's okay, too, because um, it takes all kinds. You know, I like, you know, uh, image of the day. It was, uh, you know, dessert, if you will, you know, um, you know, you can read uh, War and Peace, but it's okay if you want to read the National Enquirer as well. And, you know, in my book, you know, uh, the National Enquirer is super entertaining. And Image Comics were the same way. Uh, you know, just uh, the jaw, my jaw would drop over McFarlane and Silvestri and all those guys. Um, and then, uh, but man, speaking of what a legacy they've uh, curated there. You know, now they've got some of the best stuff going ever. Um <laughs> 
and fast forward all the way to present day, speaking of damage, I mean, like my jam these days is uh, anything Brew Baker and Phillips work on together. Um, big fan of that. I do like, I uh, really like Joe Hill's comics and stuff as well. Um, so, yeah, man. Uh, in fact, the new Reckless book, uh, I think they just posted it, and I was messaging one of my local shops just say, hey, be sure and reserve my copy because, mm-hmm. you know, th- that's what I want. That's Daddy Daddy got to have his, his juice, <laughs> so to speak. So. His brew, I'm, I'm actually going through a, uh, a Brubaker Phillips um, reading binge myself right now. I've, I've read his, you know, mainstream stuff, Gotham Central's, Cap, uh, some of the things he did with Fraction on Iron Fist. Loved it all. I've, there hasn't really been anything from him that I didn't like, but I, I hadn't read too much of his creator-owned things. I, I went through the Fade Out. Um, okay, I was going to say, I think maybe the Fade Out's one of my favorites. Uh, what I mean, a great book. I still book. love what they're doing, but yeah. that may be my favorite joint by them. Yeah, so. I hadn't read any Criminal, so that's on the list next. I just got the first, the, the Volume 1 hardcover, uh, Incognito, just trying to mix up what, what he does. And um, they're just good. Simple yeah, as man. that. They're just good. Oh, Velvet, just just good stuff that he he puts out there. And his his endings are never um, draw dropping, but you're always satisfied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I'll be. I mean, I, and you know, who am I to criti- criticize Brubaker <laughs> and Phillips? Uh, uh, it's going to sound that way a little bit, uh, but I'm not. I'm in awe of those guys. I love them. But are they perfect? No. No. Um, but, uh, you know, you know, they're going to give you a good story. You can, I mean, you can bet on it and, uh, and, and, um, it's always money well spent for me. So, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I'm starting to understand the absolute devotion that people have to that, to that cast of, of creators. You said that you, you, you mentioned being in college and during this time and then, Previously, you had said that you were very well versed in Greek mythology. Was that something that you studied in college? No, I'm just a nerd, man. <laughs> if, if okay. there was a, uh, I can remember speaking. I mean, as early as elementary school. Yeah. Uh, I, I can remember, uh, you know, checking out a library book. They just had these awesome drawings of you know Hercules uh, sheathed in the uh, the uh, the uh, hide of the the Mayan lion, if I'm pronouncing that right. You know, and looking like a superhero, basically, that I'm reading in the comics. Yeah, so. um, But anyway, so yeah, that and, uh, and you know, and I read those. And then it was a little later in life, you know, I started reading the Norse myths. Mm. And uh, although this is Greek mythology, the Norse mythology, uh, you know, is so much different than what you would read in a Jack Kirby comic. But it's where it's at because, you know, they are they are complicated. Uh, gods, if you will, more, much more human than even the Greek gods, and and twisted and awesome. Did so. did you find? Because um, I I know my Norse mythology mostly off of Thor from, from Marvel, but I know that um, Simonson has a real real love for the whole Norse mythology. Did you? I don't know if you've read his run, but did you find that he had in his work more of that uh, his uh, hooks synced into what is North mythology more than Stan and Jack? Uh, from what I can recall, I think so. Like you've got, uh, like, uh, you know, Simonson who brings in like horror being drawn on a, and this is also frog Thor era, which right. I, I don't know if that 
plays in so much. Um, but, you know, just images. I can remember the iconic images of, uh, you know, Thor being drawn on a chariot by goats. That's straight out of the true Norse myths. And, uh, you know, the, the belt that increases Thor's strength. And, and I could be wrong. You know, it's been, gosh, literally decades since I've read those those comics. Um, but, uh, you know, the the Thor the the belt that increases Thor's strength is uh, straight out of Norse mythology as well, and I think that's a Simonson. I think he brings that to the yeah to he the did Thor. yeah. So what was it? Did you have a, a favorite of the myth mythologies that you sort of dug into more? No man, I mean, uh, well, I think between uh, I, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of Norse, um, but there's there's so much great stuff that I still have yet to read. Um, you know, uh, Japanese folklore is incredible. Uh, just all the stuff, man, uh, which is weird and wild and wacky and, and anything from Asia and India and, uh, oh my God. So no, I just love it. And I mean, that's, and you know, and I realized early on, uh, and you know, in Judeo-Christian mythology, even, um, I realized early on that stuff is all precursor for the superheroes, you know, that I loved. I mean, I get it. I mean, uh, Speaking of Hercules uh, clothed in the hide of the uh, Nemean lion, you know, if he just would put his hands on his hips, he could almost be Superman there, you know. And I mean, so again, there are no new new stories, just new ways of telling old ones. So. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point, and it's so interesting how all of these mythologies. Um, some people want to look at them as as a fact if you're referring to Judeo-Christian mythology. Um, but all of these these stories, it seems like they, they've got a root in something that appeals to to human beings. Because one day, you know, fingers crossed, it, people will have all of our libraries of books to look back on. And if they'll look at them as our mythology, the way we look back at those stories, like what a wonderful tapestry of, of stories that the thousand yeah. years from now we'll have based on how we were able to tell them. Like it's yeah. um, incredible to think of how long these stories last. It's true. Did you have a, a favorite character within the with mythology? Someone that you sort of just, that's kind of my guy. Because we have them with Superman or the Hulk or whoever. So do you have one in mythology? Well, you know, who captivated my... Uh attention just like the superheroes themselves uh we're always you know anytime you've got the strong the super super strong guy so whether it be hercules thor uh samson whoever you know i can't tell you how many times i probably put on a uh stood between two trees and pretended to be samson you know pushing the pillars down or something like that as a kid with his eyes taken out like what an image right right yeah um so, you know, what beautiful stories, what, you know, what amazing, and uh, you've hit the nail on the head, this all, you know, Joseph Campbell wrote The Hero with a Thousand Faces and talks about the monomyth and just all this stuff, and Carl Jung, of course, gets into, you know, the, uh, uh, just the archetypes, which, uh, you know, the hero, the villain, the, the totalitarian, and uh, just all that weird, wacky stuff, so um, I think superheroes and myths I think Jung and Campbell were really onto something. They are expressions of, you know, basically the subconscious, which reflects into the conscious, which reflects back into the subconscious. And it's uh, the stories we tell are a way of describing those things. Um, so uh, just always fascinating. 
again, I'm a nerd. I nerd out on this stuff uh, as a writer and just as a fan. So, no, that's it's yeah, that's why that's why I do this. I love talking to the fellow nerds and seeing what it is that makes yeah. them tick. Um, well, even wrestling, brother. Yeah, um, you know, you've got uh, it was a little more. You got the heel in the face. What is a better example of a good versus evil? You know, uh, setup that uh, go back to these mono myths and these archetypes. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, and uh, you know, from Luke to to Vader to um, the Hogan and whatever politically inappropriate villain would have been in that day and time. You know, those are those expressions of just uh, you know the the war of personas and shadow within us and uh you know expressed with great pageantry and you know i love it man i just love it all it's 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 i think the geeks and and the nerds as they call us i think we understand the the necessity to have those stories be told again and again and to experience because it's it's cathartic to watch as much as people will say, oh, that's so stupid. It's guys in tights and it's fake. It's like sit down and just watch this with yeah. within, you know, 10, 15 minutes. They're in. Yeah. Yeah. You, it happens every time. It happens every time. Know. Yeah. Go ahead. No, it, it like I my wife knows that I, I love 90s wrestling because that's when I was, a you know, the ripe age to, to get into all of it. And there was so much of it out there. But I put on, you know. I think one of the great examples of storytelling, and I'm, of course, biased, but Bret Hart versus Stone Cold, WrestleMania 13. Here's two guys who are excellent workers in general, but they're not going to do that sort of match. They're going to do something that's kind of different from what they're capable of, and it changes history. Yeah. And people may be like, it doesn't change history. No, it changed history because commerce and pop culture shifts because Stone Cold Steve Austin becomes someone different in that story that you believe by the end of it. That's that's a real cut on his face. How did it happen? Well, there's the magic. But it's an expression when we watch these things and we read these stories, there are our own internal expressions, you know, coming out and they need to be told. Or else we'll go crazy if we didn't have that moment where Hogan slams the giant. We pop because we're just, we need that to happen in life, some way, even if it's fictional. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it helps us through life. I agree 100, percent Eric. Um, and I'm not, and I'm not tooting my own horn here, and I'll blast through this. But I was just uh, on a show with uh, actually a kid. I worked at an after school program in college, and uh, one of the kids, who's now you know a long grown man, uh, told me what a big influence I was on him at an early age. Uh, when I went through, uh, I, I was in the National Guard for a while. When I went through basic training, after all that was over, I had one of the uh, young men in there with me say, you know, I wasn't scared, Shane, you know, the first day when they're yelling at us and, you know, tearing us down because you were there. Um, and, 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 and all humility, other things. But I can't take credit, and I didn't realize it was going on. Um, I was just trying to live up to the example of those heroes that I loved. And, you know, you know, what WW uh, Superman do, you know, it's always been there. Yeah. And so that, that look at that ripple effect. It's true. 
That happened yeah. to me once, and again, it's it's this is our, our, us patting us on ourselves on the back. Yeah, but, I'm not, but, and I'm not I'm not trying to do that. What I well, I want to share that story, and I would never share that. But I think it's important, exactly what you're saying, Eric, is that people need to know the power of stories. Absolutely, just, absolutely, and I, and a similar thing happened to me where. Someone in our city, someone was, you know, on a bad trip or I don't know what it was. They were in a mood and they just kicked over the newspaper stand just out of a fit of fury. And I'm walking by with my friends and I, you know, I lift it up, put it back into place. Nothing major. And they're like, oh, you're so nice. And I said, that's what Superman would do. That came into my head. Like it was, it wasn't that I'm a good guy. It's like you read about heroes all the time. And as a kid, you're inspired by the fact that this guy will stop a plane from crashing as well as taking the kitten out of the tree. Yeah. You know, I can't stop big stuff, but maybe I can help somebody in the littlest yeah. way. Hey, you dropped your glove. Absolutely, man. Um, I mean, I agree 100%. Look at that. Look, look what that made a positive influence on you. Uh, which turned into a ripple effect. And yeah. is there a better definition of with great power comes great responsibility? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a writer who's much uh, smarter than I'll ever be uh, who said, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, if uh, young people are going to meet dragons in life, well, let them have also heard of valiant heroes and brave knights. And so that's super true. The yeah. stories, you know, they, they show us to to persevere when the chips are down and uh i owe so much to to stories to the comics of my youth to the books uh, i've read to the heroes i've read about um sounds like you do too so oh yeah absolutely it never gets old for me. To all that. yeah um i just want to double check with you are you okay for time or can we keep going yeah, we can keep going, buddy. Okay, sounds good. I, I can go a little long in the tooth sometimes, but I want to make sure that the, the guest doesn't have any prior engagements. Um, reading the the sample that you sent me of Jason and the Olympians, I wasn't sure if it was if it was just me, but I felt that there was somewhat of an inspiration of Ender's Game in it. Uh it's quite possible, I mean, subconsciously, because I'm a huge fan of uh, Ender's Game, okay. Orson Scott Card's book. Me too. So, go ahead. No, I, I am as well. So I was reading it, and I was like, no, this isn't Ender's Game at all. But there was just elements of it where to prove herself or to see what Jason was made of, if she had – she has like the legacy, family legacy of potential – people who were, who could have been special the way Ender did. Um, mm-hmm. She's the one that's going to live up to that, but she goes through things to like, see, this is the person kind of the yeah. way Ender. And I wasn't sure if that was an inspiration for you or if it was just me drawing from my own library. Buddy. Um, now I'll be honest with you. Consciously, I never said that, but it's, uh, it could be a hundred percent true. Um, uh, my first book, uh, your, your uh, listeners at home can't see it, but I've yeah. got a cover here. It's uh, Chance Fortune and the Outlaws. Uh, Orson Scott Card's Ender Game was a huge inspiration on it, too. Okay. Uh, and uh, so that's probably uh, had a ripple effect on me I'm not even aware of. You know, you just absorb this stuff and, and it digests down in the, the, with the boys and girls in the basement and then it comes bubbling up. So, and with you, none the wiser. So, I don't it's, know. It's unfortunate that that movie didn't. <sighs> succeed the way i would have it's a tough one to pull off it's something that i think can can, really thrives as a science fiction novel but 
such interesting characters. Like I would love to see a series of Bean and have, you know, an Ender Shadow story told. What a what yeah. a great little universe that was. Yep. So tell me a little bit about Chance Fortune and the Outlaws, because you're you're not only a comic book writer, but you're a prose writer as well. Yeah, um Chance Fortune and Outlaws um was a book I wrote uh in the early aughts. Um I, and uh I think it came out around two thousand six or somewhere around in there. Um but it uh, it became a uh, it was an official selection of the New York Public Library's books for the teenage. Uh, the Texas Lone Store Reading List uh, picked it up, which a lot of you know nationally, a lot of different schools and library follow those reading lists. Um, so I was really lucky there. Um, and uh, but it's a love letter to superhero comics. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's about a. Uh, a twist, it's actually about a kid named Josh Blevins. He lives in a world of superheroes, but he has no powers. So he has to make it on his wits and his will because um, he joins a superhero academy. Now, uh, both it was a good idea because it's about the time, although my deal was already in the works, and, you know, I've got a publishing deal, Disney comes out with Sky High. And I'm ah, like, oh, that's man. right. It, it, sounded, it sounded familiar, but, yeah, yeah, that's it. So, <laughs> You know, it's just, uh, I guess it's the uh, zeitgeist. I don't know. I mean, like I said, my book was already in the works. It actually, uh, my editor on the project um, had some, uh, was in the hospital for a while. So things really got delayed um, for the publication date. But yeah, that book was long in the works before I caught the first wind of Sky High. But anyway, so that's what it's most analogous to, that the mass populace would probably relate to. Um, And, you know, I've written... uh, uh, you know, and it's, uh, again, talk about the power of stories and literature. I wrote Chance Fortune in a dark and lonely time in my life. I'd left college. Uh, my parents had split up. Uh, my girlfriend of several years uh, had uh, broken up with me. Um, and uh, my grandparents, recent, who I was very close to, the ones who had those long boxes in their home I spoke of earlier, had passed away. So, man, if it was a low point in my life, Yes, it was. But reading books, reading comics, listening to stories on audio, that got me through it, man. That got me through it. Do you, so, do you, do you remember anything of that time that um, always will resonate with you because it was like that crutch, that friend that brought you through a, a dark time? Um, well, I, I just, you know, remember it. I, I live it. I mean, you know, I'm trying to be a writer now. It's, it's altered my life because, you know, I was, I was a reader before the, that time. Um, but, man, I became an avid reader uh, of everything uh, during that time. So it just changed the course of my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of, uh, you know, I, I'm a writer, though, because I'm a failed artist, as so many of us are. Uh, I, I was I was just good enough to be bad, if you will. I actually uh, had uh, put together a portfolio and had gone down to like the first Orlando MegaCon uh, right at the turn of the millennium, and uh, it was good and all humility, but you know it wasn't the brutes and babes style art that you know DC or Marvel was looking for, and you know I, it was a good reality check for me when I took it. And, show it around. So I was like, either I've got to uh, buckle down and really hone my craft or I've got to find, I didn't do this consciously, but I realized my, my, my dream of being a uh, 
professional comics penciler probably wasn't going to come to fruition. Um, but I just still love stories. I mean, I always love stories. And uh, so I was sitting at home reading some best-selling novel, uh, and it was pure, it was terrible, pure schlock. I slung it across the room, hmm. said I could do better. You know, I thought a minute and waited. Uh, I was like, you know what, I could do better. And so that's what started me writing Chance Fortune, which ultimately got published. Uh, I've had uh, a plethora of books and all humility since then published. Um, uh, something you're, uh, and these are basically everything's also available audio. So your listeners, while you uh, are making those comics or just drawing, uh, doing work around the house, you know, check them out on audible.com. Uh, just search my name, Shane Berry Hill. I would recommend for adult fare, um, Bad Mojo, which is about a, uh, it's about a, a beautiful hoodoo woman of mixed race in a mystical supernatural South that uh, her story is told by the Watson to her Sherlock, a redneck uh, wear a person, pretty boy. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, you've probably heard of the genre urban fantasy. This is more rural fantasy. It's, it's a biblical epic ter- told at a dirt road level. So recommend that. I've also got, uh, under pen name, uh, Bear Hill, a book I think your listeners would dig, Skinwalkers, which is, uh, you know, it, it's basically werewolves in the old west. So, very cool. So, so uh, do you read the books? Is it you reading them? No, no, no. Uh, I've been lucky. Now, the two books I've just mentioned are narrated by actor Arnie Mazur. Uh, I've got another one, The Long Silent Night, which is uh, a ho- an all-ages holiday tale, which uh, features Jack Frost as a private eye at the North Pole. And it's narrated by t- actor Tim Powell, who uh, is, uh, your listeners might be familiar, he's Chief Garman on Brooklyn 911, or Brooklyn 99, I'm sorry. Um, so, uh, and then uh, Nick Sullivan narrates, who's an awesome guy, uh, also a Tennessean, doesn't suffer from my nasal twang at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, he's been on Broadway. Uh, he's he's uh, had minor roles in a lot of uh, TV movies and films. Uh, and, you know, so this is professional level talent uh, yeah. narrating the books that I've just been lucky to to uh, be part of their team. I was going to say it would be better if it was your nasal twang reading those books. Like, well, you've got a, you got a recognizable voice and it should be the voice of the author. No, but that, that's exciting to know that you got professional talent behind uh, your prose novels being read to, to folks. So I'm, I'm definitely going to check it out because I was looking at Chance Fortune and the Outlaws on, uh, on Amazon and there was just a hardcover copy that was available there. It was very expensive. So I was wondering if it's, if it's still in print or where you could find uh, it. Again, like I said, Chance Fortune and the Outlaws was uh, printed back, I think, in, or published back in 06. So, okay. you know, it's, it's, it's a rare animal at this point. So. Okay. I got to be on the lookout for it. But the Audible book is there. So is there an Audible? Yeah. For, yeah okay. So yeah. at least you yeah. can get it that way. Very good. So getting back to um, Jason and the Olympians, I want to talk a little bit about uh, your your team that worked with you on it. How did you Absolutely. How did you and Alex uh, Alex Ogle come up with a concept? Was it a joint uh, writing and also for your artist? How did you cast the right artist for this book? Matthias Monaco, correct? Uh, I hope so. Uh, <laughs> you spoke of uh, Madia as how I say his name, but it probably is Matthias. He's a he's an artist 
uh, out of Italy. And uh, we'll talk about more about him in a moment, but he is phenomenal. We're lucky to get him. Um, but, um, I mean, Alex and I are considered co-creators because, I mean, um, I wrote the story, but, you know, we went to him about, you know, some things, designs and, uh, you know, fleshing it out, you know, what would make it appeal. So very much a joint venture. Um, but as far as sitting down writing the, the text and prose, that was my side of things. But Alex, man, I mean, you know, so much is on his shoulders as putting, as getting this project together, helping us assemble the team. Um, you know, he letters it, he's designed the heck out of it. And, you know, and right now our Kickstarter at uh, Jason, J-A-C-I-N.info, it's, it's Alex Ogle who's running it. And again, you know, just uh, credit to his skill, all his hard work finally paying off with, uh, you know, him getting that alternate Spider-Man cover coming up in October. Um, but uh, the line artist, um, who I'll continue to call Mattia until I don't I think I think you're, I, I mispronounced it. It, it, it. Yeah, that's the way it's spelled, not the way I said it. <laughs> but dude, I saw him on social media. And, uh, you know, he basically put out a little thing like, here's some of my work. Um, I'm available, you know, for hire. And, uh, you know, I noticed a lot of uh, big name uh, writers in the industry, frankly, you know, liking his stuff and checking him out. And I was like, man, I got to snatch this cat up right now. Um, and so we did. And I actually um, I pitched him uh, Jason and the Olympians and uh, some other project at the time, too. I can't remember exactly what. At, at this point, but uh, um, he chose Jason and the Olympians. Um, so that's the way we went. And I mean, he's phenomenal. And I'm glad I did snatch him up because in the course of uh, illustrating Jason and the Olympians, he did work. For, he got work for Aftershock Comics, uh, their, their limited series, Knock Em Dead. Um, but Maddie's work, guys, um, it is, uh, you know, he's got a city from Italy. It's, it's very Mobius, very European, very manga sensibility about it. And, uh, you know, I would write a sentence like ship and hanger and he would come back with this intricate, super detailed, uh, thing. And, uh, I mean, it's just incredible. And then if he is, you know, breathing life into the project with his awesome talent, um, Colorist um, Maya Opasic is just the icing on the cake. And I mean the beautiful buttercream sweetness of <laughs> Technicolor surround sound thunder, man. I mean, she's bringing the boom. Those colors are popping. Um, and if if I, if this story is any good, it's because, and, and they have, they've taken what pittance I've given them, Alex, Maddie, and Maya, and just put it through the roof. And and I'm just so thankful for them, and I can't say enough about them. Yeah, the, you you really let their their storytelling breathe in the way that your script operates. You you give us the information we need to know. It's simple enough to follow the story, but then the art is is so um, engaging and so much fun to look at, just as artwork in general. But to see how the story unfolds and and the uh, the sci-fi aspect of it, any of us who like Star Wars or any of those type of, of movies, it'll be right up our alley. Um, I had a question that slipped my mind now. Uh, so you have in, in within the story, I don't mean to give this away, I don't know, I hope you don't mind no, me talking about anybody. it. No, spoil away. <laughs> but you've got those those sections in between the story parts that, that give us insights of what else is happening 
within the 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 world that we're in. Um, where did you where did you get that idea to do that? Why did you think that was necessary for this story, or not necessary, but why did you want to have that? Um, I just thought it was a really cool way to build the world. I mean, just you know, just to just to uh, give you backstory without dumping exposition on the readers. And uh, the uh, the genesis for that, admittedly, was like the uh, the end of the comic section of sections of faux articles and such of Alan Moore's Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But if those are dark and gritty and build the world, I, you know, we went in the opposite direction. Uh, the, these interludes you're talking about, they're, uh, they're e-diaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, early on, there's a letter from uh, Jason's uh, late mother to her. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a, a, one of the characters in the book who, who I love and it's just fun. Is a, it's a robot centaur, as we call it, centauraton, as mm-hmm. we called it. <laughs> and his name's Chiron, which in Greek myth, Chiron uh, trained the, the demigod heroes. But we use him here as more of a PR manager, right. you know, right. a public relations person. And on that note, uh, aboard the Starship Olympia, this spake art for humanity, he's got like a Dear Abby section where he gives, you know, the people can uh, email and post questions, you know, like, like a Reddit chat. And uh, about the Olympians, the demigoddesses, and uh, and Chiron answers those questions in fun fashion. Yeah, and just more. So it's just a is a good, really, you know, w- way to world build without you know dumping exposition, without slowing down the graphic narrative. Um, you know, which, like you said, we just wanted to breathe and move. Um, you know, as a writer, you know, people. The layman might think, you know, is to write your jobs to write as much as possible. I don't. I think it's the opposite. I think it's more to say as little as you can to convey with laser beam accuracy what you're trying to get across and get out. You know, have that thing move. Uh, the story of any creator, comics creator, be it artist, be a writer, is to keep people turning pages. You know, because the moment they don't, they're bored, and that is what we don't want. So. How do you balance the, um, the – you got the two muscles of writing a comic script and having the story flushed out. But the artists are really going to do a lot of that work for the writer. And then you're also a prose writer. So that allows – that makes you have to describe to the reader what they would normally see. So how do you make sure that you're balancing that now when you're giving you know, a script to these artists when you're used to kind of – giving all the details. Oh, well, I still, you know, I, I won't say I go into Alan Moore detail. I still do that, but I make it very, very clear mm-hmm. that, you know, I th- this is, these are just my suggestions. This is just my thoughts where we're coming from, but it's only meant as a springboard for you, the artist. Um, you know, I don't want to hinder you in any way, but if we don't, if I don't sit there and talk to you and convey what I'm thinking, then we don't have the opportunity for back and forth. We just sit there and stare at each other and nothing gets done. So, you know, I will go into, and, you know, even when I describe something, I go beyond that. I will, you know, uh, snip a photo reference off the internet just to give the artist a visual. Or this is what I'm trying to describe uh, and, and literally place it in the script. Um, but again, I always let them know, this is just what I'm thinking. You know, um, it's not gospel, you know, Use it, 
take it and run with it or completely ignore it if, if that's your prerogative. Um, so, you know, in, in working that way on a comic, you know, you have that, that true collaboration, that beautiful baby between the two of you. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, comics have come a long way, right? Because some of the comics that I grew up reading and the ones that you referenced, like Claremont, he made sure that he put everything in there. And sometimes you're, I, now I read some of those books. I still love them, but I kind of, you know, there's some parts I skip. Like I, I know what Kitty Pryde's yeah, powers yeah. are, right? But now you, you see a lot of these wonderful stories, uh, being told and, it's you can tell that there's so much like you look at a Chris Somney book, him and Mark Wade working together, and and there's a whole issue of of Black Widow, for instance. I always think of where it's just the stories being told by what she's doing, but you know that that wasn't just haphazard. So I I, I like hearing the from the writer how they're able to give so much, but then they don't fill in like your, your script is, is not overly detailed. It's what we need to know to get by. So yeah, Yeah, I was just finding it interesting how to balance that. Um, in regards to Kickstarter, is this your first time doing a Kickstarter or have you done one before? Um, I have done some in the past, um, um, on smaller projects, but this is, this is the first true Bama Jam, the first full tilt boogie. And, and admittedly because of my inexperience, again, uh, this is uh, the uh, in the capable hands of Alex Ogle. He's the guy driving the ship with the Kickstarter. Now I'm, you know, I'm doing uh, you know everything I can to support him, of course. But you know, he, he's the pilot there, and uh, glad to have him there. He's well versed. He's run many successful Kickstarters. So um, just again, I'm so thankful for him. Yeah, right now I think Kickstarter is a, a game changer for. With everything that's happened in the world, a new way for fans to reach out and, and find what they're looking for. Do you? Is there anything that you've noticed uh, in planning for this one? Things that to keep in mind for anybody else who wants to to do a Kickstarter or, or things to that you notice change the the trajectory of a project. Um, well, you know, I. Uh I'm not a household name, Eric. So, you know, the biggest challenge uh, guys at my level face uh, is is just, you know, getting word out. So, again, I just want to thank you for having me on tonight. Thank you for uh, giving us this platform and big props to your listeners. If you'll check out jason.info and take a look at the Kickstarter, J-A-C-I-N.info. Um, you know, you are our lifeblood. Speaking of this being steeped in uh, Greco-Roman mythology, you guys, you listeners out there, you're literally the emperor in the arena, and we are hoping to get a thumbs up from you in regard to the Kickstarter. So um, you can help us again. Thank you. If you dig the project, please like it, please share it, and most of all, please consider backing us. Yeah, and the project is done. It's not a matter of, of you know, if it being backed well, they get something. It's finished. So you're going to get this this book in your hands if you back it. How yeah, many 100%. more? How many more days are left from the time that we're recording? Uh, I this? can't tell you how many days. Um, it's 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 under a month, and uh, okay. the Kickstarter ends September 12th. That's the last day. Okay, so we still got time. I'm gonna. This will be out tomorrow. I don't. Awesome. On the top of my head, I don't know what that what day <laughs> that is. I think it should be the 15th or 16th. Or no, maybe to forget it. Don't uh, listen to me. The nineteenth. The nineteenth. I'm in the past. 
So it will be out on the 19th. <laughs> so we still got lots of time, folks, to to check out the Kickstarter. Back it. I've read the book. It, it's definitely going to be worth your while to to uh, back this to, because we want the story to continue as well. Absolutely. Is there already in the works the the follow up to this story? Yeah, I've written the uh, second arc full already. The second graphic novel. Excellent. And. Uh, and as big and broad, you know, the graphic novel, volume one, is admittedly we're setting up the characters, the stakes, the expansive world. Um, and, you know, uh, in the second graphic novel, what we do, will do is without sacrificing the fun and excitement that I promise uh, your, your listeners they'll have if they check out Jason and the Olympians, uh, we're going to streamline the characters. And really that what it'll do is allow us to dig into the more and their relationships but still have that big epic popcorn feel. Um, I think going forward, like our model, just so I can do that, uh, you mentioned, I believe that this first graphic novel is four chapters. Um, I think what we'll do is probably in, in volume two, we'll continue to follow the model of four chapters, but the first three will of course follow Jason predominantly. And then we'll have a backup chapter, uh, of the, uh, of the other characters. Uh, progressively that they can help build that world and just give expanse expansive into them. Um, because, you know, how many times you find that, you know, not necessarily the lead is, is your favorite. Um, you know, again, I've already, I've already dated myself by saying when I grew up and all that stuff, but you know, I love star Wars. Um, but I also love star Trek. And while I thought Kirk was the, you know, awesome, I was always more interested in Spock, man. He he was my favorite, and and on that note, the, and in uh, Jason the Olympians, there are characters that emerge for me like in that regard. Um, for example, Thessaline. She is a blind oracle, um, but also uh, one of her, the demigoddesses. Um, but I've set her up. You know, the oracles from Greek mythology, basically in this world, are kind of like clairvoyant ninjas. And then you've got uh, the character of Damon Child, we tease, who, um, you know, he's one of those um, not black or white, but gray characters who is he a hero? Is he a villain? What is he? Um, you know, and uh, he's a big favorite of mine. And, you know, I, I do so hope that uh, this first graphic novel is successful and we get to continue the these stories and play in the sandbox and just real, reveal all this cool stuff that we tease in this first graphic novel that's going to unfold as the story progresses. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be a success. I, I look forward to the second volume. But no matter what happens, I really hope uh, people get their hands on this story one way or the other because it's to hear the excitement that you have to tell, like there's more here. This is just the, the, the teaser. This is a new hope. But when you get into the Empire Strikes Back and then you see Boba Fett and you're like, who's that guy? Right? Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. That's what we want. So th those are the things to, uh, to look forward to. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. You're a oh, pleasure Eric. to talk to. Man, uh, I think I've made a friend today. I hope you feel the same way. <laughs> I'd, uh, I'd, I'd like to have you back on the show again uh, just to yeah. talk comics, wrestling, whatever. Yeah, man, anytime. Yeah, it's been a real treat. And we're, I think, in the same, some of the same Facebook uh, groups. I don't know if you're in the, the Omnibus group I'm in or the Cartoon Kayfabe. I think we're in a couple of them together. So uh, our, our paths will continue to cross. But yeah, I'd love to have you back on the show. It's been, been a lot of fun talking to you. 
Well, man, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for giving Jason and the Olympians a platform. Thank you, listeners, in advance for helping us uh, check out jacin.info and just spreading the good word for us. Fantastic. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Go back to Kickstarter, Jason and the Olympians. Uh, rate and review the show if you enjoyed it. And we will be back soon with more content for you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.